No one has ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. We have a massive power, and it's the power to say no. They, they put all these words on these flies, it means nothing. It's, it, it, it's garbage. We're all going to die! <laughs> Doctors are gaslighting patients. You keep silent then this is what's going to happen. And they'll make us silent. I would rather paper cut my eyelids than have an incident. <laughs> <laughs> we are one people, one flag, one Australia. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ex Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp, joined again by Adam Zara. Now we had a huge episode last week, Adam, with a lot of callers that they all called in and, and contributed, which was fantastic. It was one of my favourite episodes. What did you think? Um, yep, after I was able to get to bed after the two-hour almost episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a great episode. It was so much fun and it's always good to get live feedback and we can comment and talk about like things that are happening. So it's really good. I think it gives um, our viewers and, um, you know, a chance to actually have their say, whereas, you know, in normal um, presentations, they wouldn't actually get a chance to actually even get their comments put up. So um, that's what we're here to do, provide a platform, not just for our special guests, but a platform for our viewers as well. So um, welcome aboard. And um, this should be a very good um, episode tonight. Um, looking forward to hear, looking forward to hearing from um, Dana. And um, yeah, and last week was awesome. And if uh, if you want to contribute, you can comment live. We're, we're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. You can comment there. Also live streaming on Rumble as well. Unfortunately, the way they've set this up, you can't. You can comment on Rumble, but we won't see it. So if you want to contribute, get onto the Facebook and the YouTube so you can comment live. And we will be putting the link out probably later in the show. We want to have a chance to speak to Dana first. And uh, we'll be encouraging people to call in and have their say. Uh, you're more than welcome to jump on and ask Dana a question later on. But uh, first of all, we'll introduce our special guest, Dana Pam. She's a counter-protester and trans-inclusionary radical feminist. Now, Dana, what the hell does that mean? Um, it's so that's an actual term I invented. Um, I thought I'd get creative and, yes, someone beat me to the punch. Um, it's just a bunch of play on words on a bunch of play on words playing on words um i guess i'm just making fun of everyone in the trans debate um because trans inclusionary radical feminists um you shouldn't that it's pronounced turf which sounds like so you know t-i-r-f sounds like t-e-r-f which is the more uh common um phrase used in trans debate so basically if you're a trans exclusionary radical feminist you're allegedly a lot of times it's not true but you're allegedly a transphobe who you're a old-fashioned feminist who hates trans people but that's basically a turf t-e-r-f um but i've gone with t-i-r-f so trans inclusionary or trans inclusive radical feminists um, yeah, I'm kind of making fun at TERFs, but I'm also making fun at the trans activists because um, uh, I don't think they would want to include themselves or want to see me to be included um, uh, in the word turf, so to speak. Um, 
it's just a whole, it's just, it's just a bunch of word salads I'm just making fun of everyone in the debate and the reason I do that is I think there is merit to the different perspectives in a lot of trans debates but unfortunately we've gotten to the stage where no one's really listening to anyone um and it's just a uh, it's just an unsightly slanging match so uh, you've got to have a laugh somehow. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I call myself a trans-inclusive rad radical feminist or trans-inclusionary uh, radical feminist, but I'm really just trying to take the piss out of everyone in the trans debates. <laughs> well, that's super Aussie trying to take the piss out of everyone anyway, so that's all, that's really awesome. Mm. But um, so what does, um, I guess, inclusionary mean? When you're saying trans-inclusionary, does that mean, um, do you, I mean, I should a trans woman or person, sorry, um, be included in everything? So words salads aside, when we get to the substance of it, um, clearly there's been no agreement, well, no consensus, I should say, on what is a trans woman and where do they fit in society. And unfortunately... I don't, I think in practice, you, you're more likely in the real world in practice see um, some sort of consensus in political debates and social debates. You won't really, you don't really see that, um, especially what you see through US and UK media. Um, very, It's a very polarising subject. I think we're a bit more laid back in Australia, um, we're not as bad, um, we're not bad yet, that bad yet, and compared to the other parts of the, of the Anglosphere, we might eventually get there, which would be unfortunate. Um, and, you know, what, what, you know what, what do I mean by there's a bit more consensus in the real world? Well, um, there are, I recognise, let's just use me as an example, I recognise there are things about me that I, I may not 100% pass, passes in um, uh, successfully present as a woman 100%. Um, you know, one of the giveaways is, you know, I, I have a deep voice, but, you know, let's say I zipped my mouth and, you know, I was walking down the street and then both of you saw me, but you, you didn't know who I am and I didn't say anything to the both of you and your brains would just probably just tell you, um, uh, subconsciously, yep, that's a woman and, you know, that guy over there is a man and, you know, you're walking down the street and your brain just registers, or I should be more specific, it categorises very quickly who's a man, who's a woman, who's a boy, who's a girl, um, because if you if your brain ever analysed, then you just wouldn't survive in this world. Your brain has to... Um, sometimes just simplistically categorise, otherwise you're just overwhelmed with information. So where I'm going with that is, you know, whether it's you two, whether it's other people, chances are you see me on the street, you don't know who I am, and your brain will just categorise me as female without, more, more or less without putting in further effort to debate whether I'm trans or not because your brain doesn't have that capacity unless we're having an open conversation, which both of you are having with me right now, 
then that's a bit more bearable um, to discuss uh, for your brains to process. Um, so there's political and social debates where it's controversial. What is a trans woman? You know, is a trans woman a woman or something else? Um, that's where there's a lack of consensus. But out there in the real world where people are just trying to get on with, with their lives, um, you don't, that's less of a challenge. Um, so perhaps we're, in, we're more inclusive in certain spaces than others in more ways than we realise. We see uh, these activists jump jump onto these minority issues, and we definitely saw that during the voice referendum where they were trying to make out that there was one voice for the Aborigines and they all agreed with what was being proposed. And it's similar to the what they deem the trans community. But does the trans community, does, does it even exist? Is there any sort of leadership to the trans community? Uh, is, is there notable people in the trans community or is it just something that activists throw around to uh, for their own advantage? You'll probably see more... Um, uh, you'll probably see more uh, leadership in your uh, Aboriginal communities that has more unifying recognition Um like, uh, I mean, how, how do I put this? Our Federal Indigenous Minister, uh, Indigenous Affairs Minister, Aboriginal Affairs Minister, um, Linda Burney, um, she happens to be of Aboriginal descent herself. So, that you know, that's more formalised, whereas you see in the LGBTQ community, yes, there are organisations like ACON um, and what have you, uh, you see publications like the Sydney Star Observer or I think they just call themselves um, the Star Observer or what have you. Um, so you have um, pockets of organisations, of groups in the community that are outspoken, but it's not like they're elected. Mm-hmm. Like there's more, you'll, you'll probably see a, a high level of democracy grassroots democracy in um, uh, Aboriginal communities than you'll see in the LGBTQ communities, where you you see, you know, there's Facebook groups, there's social media groups, um, and then there's uh, the advocacy organisations, but it's um, it's a mixed bag, and there's no... Uh, while some organisations will claim leadership their legitimacy hasn't really been legitimised. So we probably should get a little bit of your background. So you grew up in Vietnam. When did you uh, realise that you, you know, maybe something wasn't right with the way that you were born? Uh, So my parents grew up in Vietnam. I was born here. Oh, sorry. Okay. um, That's okay. Um, by the time I was four years of age, I knew there was something different about me. I just didn't know what it was. Um, what had happened was my parents, I remember my parents were, and it's quite fascinating to me that as a four-year-old, I remember this level of detail. As a four-year-old, my parents needed to buy a birthday dress. Well, they needed to buy a birthday gift for, I think it was a family friend's daughter. 
Um, so they thought that they'd buy a dress for her. So, you know, those white frilly dresses for four-year-olds? Yeah, yep. anyway, they settled on that idea. Mind you, this is the early 90s. I don't know if much has changed. Um, maybe it's in those kind of dresses more resembles what Anna and Elsa uh, wore um, uh, from Frozen. But, um, no, it's one of these typical white frilly dresses um, I was with them. They went to some children's children's wear shop to get that. And because I was the same size as this family friend's daughter, um, they put the dress on me just to make sure, you know, it fit and all of that. Now, you would you can imagine most boys would um, uh, would pick at the um, idea of being modelled for that. Yeah, I did going to be protest. <laughs> well, I it didn't, you know, it wasn't something exciting, but it felt normal. And then that's when I realised, actually, maybe if there's something not so normal about me, um, and then from then on, I, to some varying degrees over the years, I knew there was something different about me, and it was. Internally, it was that more obvious during my teenage years. And I didn't medically transition, start the medical transition until I was 19. Um, if I knew what I knew now, I would have transitioned as medically trans transitioned as a teenager, you know, puberty blockers, etc. etc. Um I think there's no denying, like any types of medication, there's no denying that. There are side effects, but there are side effects with any medication and would it have caused side effects, side effects for me for puberty blockers? Probably. Would I, have cared, would I have cared? No. And the reason I wouldn't have cared back then, nor would I have cared now, I feel, is because my gender dysphoria is bad enough that um, it's a if you take a cost-benefit basis, you just run with, what benefits more than the cost? I think a lot of people out there, they'll say, okay, well, you can't drink until you're 18. You can't vote until you're 18. You, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, society has said, okay, well, you need to be you need to be 18 to be considered an adult to be able to make these decisions. But you're basically saying you would have preferred to have transitioned earlier, which is a big argument for people. They say if people are going to go on these puberty blockers, then they should be doing it after 18. Why Why do you say that you would prefer to have done it earlier? What are the reasons for that? Um, I still, I mean, you know, are my psychological mental health issues any worse than the current Australian population. I, I think we all have our own physical mental health issues. Um, and whilst I'm not the mentally healthiest, uh, I think I am in a much better place than a lot of people out there. You know, I have my own problems, so to speak. Although I do feel um, if this was managed better, so to speak, as a teenager, I do feel I would have less mental health problems than I currently do. I mean, my current mental health problems 
uh, it's not perfect, but it's not the worst. And like I said, I'd, I dare say it's better than a lot of people out there anyway. Um, I, I guess I'm just trying to be a perfectionist here. And um, uh, unfortunately, we all can't. We can all be perfectionists, but we'll never get perfection. And I'm just um, uh, just being a bit of a spoiled brat um, from that perspective, perhaps, maybe. I, I don't know. Because I've also heard of cases of detransitioners who um, they they transition where they're certain that they had gender dysphoria and then it turns out it was a mistake and therefore they detransitioned. Now we've, uh, we're aware of detransition stories um, uh, and where people detransition for various reasons. Um, and it's been brought to my attention that, yes, there are cases of detransition where the person thought they had gender dysphoria and, you know, not, you know, they were on, uh, you know, they had um, some sort of autism spectrum, uh, autism uh, spectrum disorder or some sort of um, uh, other uh, uh mental health, uh, psychological diagnosis um, that should have been looked at. Um, so the question is, was there always a risk that I could regret? And admittedly, yes, but I now know that wouldn't have happened. But then at the same time, how could you predict the future? And then that just makes the issue uh, complicated. Look for Really, the only solution I see moving forward is um, there are questions that need to be asked and addressed around um, how much gatekeeping other psychs doing, other doctors doing for the teenagers, and do they need to find unit and how best can they find unit based on um, the current academic and medical research, which, from what I've seen, has been has been politicised. So then that's a can of worms in itself. And so where do we even start with this mess? That's right. And Dana, because you, you've touched on it a little bit, so I did have a question that I was going to ask you about it. Like, So do you feel that if you were able to have gotten, um, like, good, caring uh, verbal treatment, um, I'm not saying that you wouldn't have, like decided to go like transition or anything like what you've done, but do you think that um, the outcomes might have been different? Do you think that you might have been able to deal with your dysphoria a different way rather than um, um, well, not I don't know the right terms to use. So I'm not sure. trying to be offensive so, anyway. So you know, drastic for me, it's drastic medical intervention. Um, yeah. You know, do you feel that you might have had a, had it might have been able to actually um, come to terms with with your um, biological body and self, and holistically come together without having such procedures and things done. If you were, if if um, better mental health help was out there for for you. So the model that you're alluding to, it's known as the watchful waiting model. Um, it's an older model, and uh, those who are concerned about uh, children and teenagers transitioning, they're more likely to advocate a watchful waiting model, which is 
basically, it's more or less how you've described it, Adam. It's um, no PPD blockers, no medical interventions uh, as sorts, just um, allow that to take place in adulthood if the issues uh, don't resolve themselves and, you know, see good psychs, um, uh, see good psychs uh, and other support who can um, uh, keep you on, um, you know, uh, uh, who can keep you on the right track without medically transitioning. Um, my experience was as a teenager, I, that was the model that um, model of care I was under and it didn't really work for me. Um, it, you know, I was seeing um, psychs and what have you and, you know, school counsellor and they tried their best to help, um, you know, you could, it could, you know, there's a question of could they have done a better job in talk therapy and did they do their best with psychotherapy and all that? Well, that's what they, that's basically what they did. Could they have done better? I don't know that they could have had any other better options or, you know, they could have tried harder. I don't think they could have tried harder if they uh, wanted to. Um, I guess another way of putting this is I've been studying uh, theology part-time um, at the University of Notre Dame in Sydney. And it doesn't seem relevant, but there is relevance because um, that's a traditional Catholic uni when I'm getting a traditional um, uh, theological training through them. Um, I've been studying with them since 2021 part-time and if they've yet to convince me, not that it's talk therapy, but, you know, there's some comparisons, you know, they're... Uh, uh, they teach the teachings of the Catholic Church um, in X, Y, and Z, and you know, it's at an academic level. And if that still can't convince convince me at this point, I don't know what's going to convince me that um, I didn't write, I didn't make the right decision. Um, I, I don't know what the solution would have been for me other than medical transition. Sorry, you... Stephen, I've just got one more follow up. Is that okay? Yep. Mm. Yep. Um, so what I was going to say, um, I guess my biggest fear as a parent is I'm, I don't like, I love my kids and, you know, whatever makes, you know, whatever. And we do our best as, as parents to make our children, you know, have the best outcome in their life as they can. Um, my biggest fear, I guess, with um, the transgenderism and ideology and things like that is that um, from some of the, information that I've read, you know, we've interviewed a, a parent of a transgender person and who, you know, who had mental health issues from the start. Um, it scares me that, you know, just for the sake of, I don't know, being, I don't know, like, you know, um, I'm trying to trying to word it like, um, I guess just for the sake of it, you know, putting my kid, like if my daughter went to school and said, hey, I'm not a boy, and then put her on testosterone, 
pretty quickly, which uh, there's been stories that that's happened in the uh, happened in the past without proper you know treatment. Where I'm you know could be have the chance of being called a bigot if I said I didn't want her to go on to those kind of things as a child, and things like that. Um, you know that's my fear with what we're seeing on the activist side of the LGB um, community mm-hmm. is that you know like basically the kid can go in you know, make up a story and then all of a sudden be on tablets when they can't even give you Panadol. That's probably my biggest fear as a parent. And I think that's what, I don't know, I guess I'm trying, I guess why I'm a a little bit, I won't say against, but a bit against that kind of thing. So there's a couple of of aspects to the concerns you've raised. In the ideal world, um, in a um, learning slash educational environment, a school environment, the ideal is um, now we know how our schools in Australia are going. Um, you just need to uh, have a look at how our literacy and numeracy rates are going compared to the rest of the world, and it's not that great. And what are we talking about? I think it's the for three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And, you know, the the good traditional or what's supposed to be the conventional stuff of good schooling. Uh, Apparently we're not doing too well compared to um, our um, uh, competitors. Um, So I, I, well, number one, um, that needs to be addressed. And if we're addressing that and we're just focusing on just good education, really the only time in a classroom where these topics come up is I get that at some point, you know, early high school, sex ed needs to be talked about and it needs to be um, talked about in a prudent manner uh, because you don't want to, um, you know, society's already hypersexualized as it is and you can... Uh, Google for that hypersexualization that easily, and kids can uh, easily uh, Google all sorts of stuff. Um, so that's a bit of context and background to also also to be mindful of. Um, but really, in a classroom, um, these sort of topics shouldn't generally shouldn't be brought up unless it needs to be brought up. So, for example. Um, in your, let's say, there's a year eight class, um, uh, a boy who attends the school in that year eight class, um, you know, the year after comes back as, as a girl and there needs to be a conversation. You can't ignore the elephant in the room. There needs to be some sort of conversation along the lines of, yep, they've come back as a girl. This is why. Um this is not for shits and giggles, you know, they're trans, they're dealing with gender dysphoria, you know, whatever the explanation is, that conversation needs to be had. Um, And then, you know, there needs to be, you know, there needs to be discussions about boundaries and rules and all that where everyone's on board, so to speak, or everyone, there's a consultation where people are enticed to come come on board so that there's... and there's consensus, there's no controversy, uh, and everyone's happy, so to speak, well, most people at least. 
that's really the only time that these things should be brought up. And then your, you know, sex ed that isn't hypersexualized and, you know, that's actually good sex ed that's um, good for the children, good for everyone in the long run. Um, other than that, I'd say that working on the three R's is, and refocusing on the three R's is a pretty good distraction and distraction is probably not the right word to use here, but I'm sure you know what I mean. I just have one more question to finish up on the the, the medical uh, intervention. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you would have preferred to have done it earlier because of your mental health. Were there any physical reasons you would have preferred to have done it earlier? You mentioned, you know, you have a deep voice and things like that. Do you think that would have been, I guess? No, so I would have had, no if I'd been on testosterone, sorry, puberty blockers, um, because I left it, fun fact, I left it till I was 19, so there was no point in it getting on puberty blockers. So I went on testosterone blockers as a start. But um, so there would have been no deep voice like I do now. Um, possibly my head wouldn't be as big as it currently is, although I don't really have a big head, so to speak, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, we've all got big look, heads. Look, 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 I'm now getting to the territory of nitpicking and... Um, I've never had any desire for any facial feminization surgery because I suppose that's an advantage with East Asian genetics and transitioning later in life. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I'm sure there would have been um, other things, other types of masculinization I could have avoided facially, bodily as well. But at that point, I'm probably just nitpicking and we there's all you know there's always something about our bodies we can nitpick um but i try not to do any of that so i've got a uh, just a quick question here from tony she says is dana aware of high top i've never heard of high top no i is don't know that <laughs> not sure that's a pair of shoes I'm as far thinking. as i used to i remember high tops mate high top Unless Tony Tony wants to clarify that question. Yeah, if we can get some clarification. She's actually got another question here as well. Mm -hmm. She says, Dana, how do you feel about the promotion of transgenderism in the public arena, especially under the Marxist umbrella of diversity and inclusion? Is it not just an ideological endeavour? I'd say if we're serious about uh, diversity and inclusion, we need to take it to its logical conclusion. For example, um, it's great that for ex- that we have LGBTQ diversity and inclusion. What about uh, diversity and inclusion of political opinion and religion? Because um, in certain settings in Australian society, I'm seeing that being chipped away. And I'm seeing... Um, you know, a a legal system, a um, a justice system. You know, just to pick one example, um, for all the faults of the Catholic Church, um, and you know, their handling of uh, the child sex abuse scandals. Um, you know, a bit controversial for me to say this. It is a little bit better than say um, 
uh, how, skate, how, how state schools used to handle it. And, you know, that, that um, hasn't really been took, looked into too deeply. And yet we had uh, the late um, George Cardinal Pell um, been um, very unfairly done by in uh, Victoria Stanham and you had the High Court 7-0 seven basically saying, yeah, that, that was a BS case all along. Um, so if, we, if we're serious about diversity and inclusion, we need to take it to its logical conclusion. And that includes the defence when it, uh, there is a lack of seriousness in um, defending political and religious freedom in this country. And um, uh, I think um, we need more parliamentarians speaking out on it. That's what we need in the public arena. I've got a question just on this kind of thing as well. Well, I guess it is. But so, why is it so hard for you know our leaders um, all around the world, and even you know actors and you know people we I guess aspire to, to define a woman when in essence that's the goal. Like in your case, that's the goal. Okay, mm-hmm. you, I, like I, I think from what you've said, you know that you're never ever going to hit that point at 100%. But, you know, why is it so hard to define a woman when basically that's the goal or in, in or vice versa? Why is it so hard to define a man when that's the goal? You're, you're changing from one to the other. For some of you may recall um, Caitlyn Jenner when she yep. came out in 2015, which years ago, uh Given what we've seen in the political scenes across the English-speaking world, a lot has happened since 2015. Um, but really, she was, you know, up and before 2015, people had some vague sense of what a trans person was, unless they actually knew one in person. And Caitlyn Jenner, in the English-speaking world, um, put the trans identity uh, put the trans identity onto um, the societal map, so to speak. So she put herself out out there as a a trans woman. Uh, And I'm not pointing the finger at her, but because she did that, I think that then opened uh, the doors for um, other types of trans people, so to speak, Um, and so, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is just one type of trans woman. And then someone else, you know, we're, we're at a point where there's been cases where, whether it's been publicised or not, uh, we hear the occasional cases where someone who hasn't really put in the effort to transition is now claiming that they're a woman. Yeah, that, yeah I was going to ask that. Do you feel like somebody's half in or half out? It's kind of like just doing it for the hell of it? There are trolls out there who will troll for all sorts of reasons, and that would be one of the reasons, unfortunately. They exist. Um, I don't think there would be too many of them, but there are there is enough of them to um, legitimately cause concerns um, for uh, people, especially uh, certain women who are, are in vulnerable positions. Um, I... Yep. So, some doors have been opened, and how do we shut the, shut those doors now? I yeah, that's a big that's a big question. 
Steve, you're on, on mute. mute. I don't know <laughs> why I was on mute. Um, I've just put the link in the chat if anyone wants to call in and ask uh, Dana a question. But uh, before we get there, uh, you were in a relationship with a man for about seven years before you realized mm. you were lesbian. Now, I mm. want to play a clip because uh, this, this is an oh, interesting yeah. comment that you've, that you've made uh, just on this, um, on this YouTube. Here, I'll just play it now. My life experience is a case study of how sexuality and gender identity or gender dysphoria are both two completely different things. So that's an interesting comment for me. Uh, you've, I've heard people like Jordan Peterson, I think it was, who uh, makes the argument that a lot of these young people that identify as the opposite sex are actually just gay or lesbian at the end of the day. And if they were given enough time, they would just turn out to be gay at the end of the day and they wouldn't, they wouldn't be transgender. Whereas your situation is completely opposite to that. Uh, whereas, you know, you're a biological man that identified as a woman that, that is also attracted to women. Do you think that there's some truth behind what that argument is saying or do you dispute it completely? Uh, Jordan Peterson's argument. I th I'm pretty sure it was Jordan Peterson. The argument that most, most people would, uh, you know, if they're given enough time, they would just transition to be gay. They, they, they wouldn't need to transition to the opposite sex. They'd end up just being gay or lesbian. So I've heard, I haven't heard it directly from Jordan, but I've heard it from other commentators of that sort of um, psychological uh, medical background. There's an older statistic that it's something like, you know, 60 to 90% of trans teenagers will grow out of it because they're gay or lesbian or what have you. Um, now, those statistics come from uh, the 70s to 70s, 80s, that period. Um, is it, it's an older statistic. Is it reflective of, like, is it still relevant now is the question. We're not sure because, um, you know, it, it may hold some level of truth, but to what extent is it now 50%, 40%, 30% that they will desist or grow out of it? You know, what's the percentage? I, I don't know because it's in reference to an older statistic, since those times, there hasn't really been, from what I can see, um, uh, there hasn't really been research where there's been an overwhelming, uh, a resounding consensus that, you know, what the regret or the desistance or the what have you rates uh, with regards to transitioning. I'm referring back to my earlier comment about at some point, Trans health research became politicised, and so we, we've we've lost that continuity of good research. And so, you know, uh, what Jordan Peterson said, to what extent is that true? I, I don't know. I, I I'm not aware of. There's just too much too much conflicting research on trans health 
for children is just too much, not enough research, and where it's, where it's available, it conflicts. It conflicts because some of it's old, some of it is politicised. I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I struggle to answer that question because I don't think anyone has the answer to that question. Well, well just from, from, from interviews with scientists and professors and stuff like that, it just seems to me that it's kind of very similar to... Um, you know, the climate science and the consensus and stuff that they reached through climate change and things like that is that you're not getting funding unless you're following the narrative. And the narrative at the moment is that the global, the globe is warming, humans are causing it and we're all going to die. And then second of all, and it seems to me too that now that, you know, you're not getting funding unless you're supporting the LGBTQ, you're not, you know, if you you can't, if you're not, you're not going to get funding for, for, um, uh, um, you know, for testing and research, unless you're going to find a conclusion that leads towards the narrative of, you know, five-year-olds are a, should be able to make the decision to transition if they want. So, um, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, so we've obviously seen a whole bunch of areas in science that isn't reflective of what science is meant to be. Um one way, it's not scientific, but all things considered, it's not exactly illegitimate either. One way to get around that is to go on Reddit and see what's being talked about and who's sharing what experiences and, you know, what, you know, what is it, uh, what insights are they offering, what have you. You know, you, you have all these trans-related Reddits um, for different um, target audiences, you know, for trans people, those interested in trans topics, um, detransitioners. So um, I think there's a Reddit called Detrans, and you see a lot of stories on detransitioning and why people detransition and all that. But then there are other trans-related Reddits where you see more positive stories, you know, adults and children, um, and, you know, uh, adults who transitioned as children who had positive experiences. So you, like, it's all, you, you, I've seen so much of a mix back on Reddit, and the great thing about Reddit is because it's anonymous, people are more, are more willing to be upfront and honest, well, at least more upfront and honest than politicised yeah. Um what's supposed to be scientific research but it's politicised research. So if you yeah. want something a bit more reliable than politicised research, try Reddit. And look, from what I've seen on Reddit, I've seen way too many different variations in the, the broader trans story that I don't think there's a, a great narrative on, you know, what is a, you know, what is a legit trans story, what is a legit trans person, what is it? There's just too much variation. So I've just put the link in the uh, in the chat if you want to call him. We've got one caller right now, so I'll I'll bring him on. A former guest of the show, Chris Coveries. How are you going tonight, oh, Chris? Good evening, everyone. I saw the stream up and I thought, ah, you put a link up there, a bit of a call-in show. Why not jump in and say hello? Thanks for hosting the thing. I think it's great what you're doing. Twitter spaces are great, but this is even better. Um, kind of a managed on one-to-one. -one. So I'm, I'm really glad that you guys are, are running this. Thank you for running it. 
we, we call it talkback streaming, not talkback radio, talkback streaming. Talkback streaming. Yeah, so anyone that wants to call in and ask a question or have a comment, feel free to jump on. Um, so what brings you on tonight, Chris? Wherever Dana goes, whatever she does, everything of the all of the dialogue that goes with her inevitably revolves around sexuality and transgenderism. And having spoken with Dana myself, I'm, I'm, I'm interested now as well, having listened for a bit, all of it continues to be around that. It's not kind of a, oh, yeah, um, I'm a political conservative Catholic, um, long list of, of kind of topics who happens to be trans. Because because to me, that's, that's Dana, you know, just happens to be trans. Oh, yeah, oh, oh trans, okay, whatever. Um, because she's not, sorry, Dana, but most transgender activists I come across are screaming in my ear that they're trans and demanding that I yeah. respect them or else I'm going to be bashed on the head, um, yes. which is very hard to ignore. But with Trying Dana, to get to, I was going to get to that question. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, the question is, everywhere you go, why is it that despite you're not screaming, hey, I'm trans, why is it that everything, and, and tonight as well, seems to come back to that? Why? And this is a question for you, for everyone here. Yeah. I guess I'm not a boring trans person. Um, and the reason I'm not boring is I'm not screaming at the three of you. If I was screaming at the three of you by now, you then know I'm a boring trans person because, unfortunately, um, there are activists out there who... Uh, represent trans people in a certain light, and it's just a turn off, and not not. And then people start to think, oh, you know, all oh, trans people must be like that, so why bother? Whereas because I don't do any of that, um, obviously, I've left my door open, and there's a more cordial invite um, sitting at the door waiting to be taken. And I'd like to, I can answer that question as well. Um, you're right. Dana isn't screaming, yelling, and carrying on, and she's not, you know, screaming that she wants our children. Okay, so what happens is, what I, we can ask the real, we can ask questions, we can actually try to find out and get inside, I guess, in a sense, Dana's head to see, you know, mate, if if they were look, Dana, if if trans people were majority like yourself, I guess, and may, I don't know, this might be bigoted. I don't know. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying, you know. So, but. You know, have at it. Go live your life. Go give live your best life. Leave me and leave my children and everyone out of it. Because when I first bumped into you, I did think that you were a woman. I didn't think that you were a male. And I think um, once, obviously, I got to know you just a little bit more because we do walk in the same circles, it was then um, told to me. So, but it, you weren't screaming it. You weren't carrying on. I can treat you like a lady. Um, and because you act, you actually act like a lady. Right. Whereas a lot of other trans political advocates, af, af, uh, activists that we see, they don't really act like male men or women. They just act like a bunch of animals running through the street. And I'll say I did have some questions in here about you, your your faith and all those other things oh. that Chris mentioned. So we were I was going to get to that eventually. But <laughs> I will say, oh, yeah, I will say this. I think the trans part of it is important because it's dominating the political landscape in a lot of ways. You have people like Catherine Deeds out there advocating a lot about it. I mean, especially here in Moringa where I'm at, that that dominated the federal election in, in our electorate. So it is a big issue. And what we said to you um, off air, Dana, we've, this is a platform 
for us, Adam and I, to learn as well. I mean, how often do we get to speak to trans people? And obviously, Adam and I are not trans, at least not yet. So we don't we don't understand uh, a lot of the concepts and the thinking behind it. Uh, so it, it's more for us if we're going to we, at some stage we're going to need to develop a political opinion or a political position on this. So we want to be able to go straight to the source. And uh, you know, you you are you, you you're approachable. I can I feel like I can ask you any question without uh, worrying about offending you. So a lot of the reason why we wanted to have you on is to nut down, okay, well, obviously you can switch on Sky News and they, they present a uh, position on this issue. Let's try and maybe see if there's uh, some inaccurate inaccuracies in the position that that's being presented, especially about the puberty blockers. I think that's uh, tremendously uh, important because my position before you came on was that children shouldn't be given puberty blockers before they're 18, whereas you're presenting a, a counter-argument to that. So I think it's important for you to present that counter-argument so I can go away and consider it. You might not convince me, but you might convince me maybe 30%, 5%, whatever, you know, but at the end of the conversation, we're closer together. So I think that's the main reason why, well, I guess we're focusing on that to begin with. Uh, so... Does that, uh, does that answer your question, Chris? Yeah, more a discussion point because it extends beyond um, where we are here. It, 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 this isn't a, a just here. It's, 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 and indeed, I, I agree, it, it, it is dominating our dialogue. A, a small minority of people and something that tends to occur in bedroom with devoting so much for our political consciousness to. And here we're, we're having a pleasant conversation, man, and that's why I was exploring. But why? But why? And the reason, well, the reason I've, I suppose, inserted myself in, into the conversation more publicly is I do get annoyed at the um, uh, the presentation, the public presentation, that there's just two sides to the discussion. It's like, actually, if we were real about this, there's probably a hundred sides to it. Hmm. Um, See, that, just, that's yeah. the problem. That's that's and that was the problem with the referendum as well. It wasn't just mm. one Aboriginal viewpoint. It was, and uh, Kerry White told us this. Every single mob around Australia had a, a completely different circumstance, a different opinion, and well, especially I, I, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine when it comes to, well, when it comes to anyone, whether they feel like they're a man or a woman or, or uh, dom a masculine or feminine or this sexuality or that sexuality, it's different for each individual person you can't just throw a blanket over something and say this is the this is the answer if there was a plebiscite on are trans women are women at that point i might consider leaving australia okay um, because got... like 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 it's you know whether it's the referendum we just had or you know all these questions that boils it that tries to boils it down to there's a side aim and there's a side beam and there's nothing further to it. It's just completely unhelpful. I've got some clarification from Tony. She said, Hill, sorry, High Top is a Marxist organisation which proudly advocates for the gender intervention of children in, eight, in, sorry, in years three, four and five. They aim for five in 30 children to come out before the age of 10. So I'm not sure where she got that from, but... That, that's what high top is. 
Yeah, that's not, um, I, I wouldn't call that uh, gender-affirming care. That sounds like ideology. Um, we've always known historically that trans people only take, you know, what, less than 1%, much less than 1% of the general population. And, you know, we come out of woodworks at some point, whether it's children, whether it's adults, and it should just happen naturally, not like, you know, we've got quotas to meet, which is, uh, it, that's, it sounds like Tony's describing an organisation as quotas in mind. Um, that's very ideological. And I was going to say, what you know, that's the thing too, because the, the whole transgender um, argument has become ideological and it's they've merged with the healthcare side of things as well. So what happens is that's why I think that's what is also fit, causes a lot of fear in people like myself for my children, like I discussed before, is that once the, ide the ideology meets the healthcare side of things and welfare of the person, welfare of the person, you're getting just a, it's more of a skewed thing. Oh, we're just throwing on puberty blockers. There you go and you'll be right. Well, we know that um, a lot of people who, like you're saying, 1% are transgender, 1% of the population is transgender or has a transgender, right? And then if, so if they just threw all, like say there was five or six kids in a class um, that were transgender and they put them on puberty blockers at the age of, six seven or eight okay well that's that's a lot that's more than you know an average of a percent like that percentage that we talked you spoke about you know like that, that there's damage does get done so um you know like we know that testosterone testosterone in in young girls um it damages the uterus it damages their body um estrogen in boys it damages boys as well um obviously you know counter each other the same thing um, I think that's what happens with, I think that's where we're getting to that point where ideology is overruling healthcare. From what I've seen more so in the United States, Canada, yeah. England, UK, yeah. um, Australia isn't at that level yet. But we're slow and we're stupid, and I'm, I'm talking about all of us. Like we're slow and stupid, and we won't learn from mistakes like Tavistock. And what happens is we'll go and do it, and we'll hurt our kids as well before we turn around and go, "Oh, ten years later, we shouldn't have done that," because that just seems to be the trend of Australia. And I'm I'm putting it out there now, and I don't care if people disagree with me. That's what I've seen, and that's how I feel about what's been going on in our political sphere. Is that there with climate change with with um, the transgender debate and, you know, even with this, um, with the whole referendum that just went by, it just seems to be that we're we're five years behind. We could learn the lessons from other countries in the world. We follow, we, we, we do the same mistakes as them and then we just turn around and go, oh, well, we didn't see that happening. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know, on... On the, on, back on the trans topic and children sp uh, specifically, I, it, it's because there's there's been a build up in emotions and um, and that continues to build. Um, we may, admittedly, we may have passed the point of people listening to each other. We probably have passed that point. So um, is and you know. Then there's a question, well, is there any way to 
um, turn things around, you know, make things better, you know, come to consensus. Uh, I think we're, we've had down, we're heading down the path of it's either one side wins or the other. And it's like, well, uh, don't think the solution uh, lies in the extremes. Yeah. Now, um, now, Chris, um, you, you're welcome to stay to the end if you want, uh, but do you have another question for, for Dana? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, background, Sunday night, and you've got the kids around. Um, what I was going to carry on was a, a more narrow focus question. Dana, for your personal individual interests, for rather than putting nation, state, community, um, anything else, just for your interests of all the political parties out there, Hmm. which is the one that best serves your interests? And if I can run through them, Liberal Democrats are, are, are doing a tour of the best-known women's rights anti-trans activists around. Um, you, all of the different parties have the different platforms, which I think anyone here would, would wonder may not be serving your interests. But you also look at the Greens, which, which on the surface level might be, but don't – like. Run us through. What do you think? You know, even if it's a top three of the parties that are going to best serve your own personal interests. It's a difficult question for me because when I think politics, I usually don't think just about myself. I think, and look, you know, maybe this is a flaw on my part. I think of community, I think of society, and of, of course, Chris, you, you've made it clear as a part of your question, um, forget about, you've said nation, community, forget about all that. And it's very hard for me to think of, think politically in those terms because for too long I, I don't, I like to think about big ideas and how it affects everyone in general and not just me. So, so this is quite a challenging question because I don't usually think that selfishly um, when it comes to politics. But, yeah, look, if I had to be selfish and, you know, purely selfish, yeah, sure, okay, probably the Greens, even though I usually put the Greens second last or last uh, down the ballot paper. So you can see why I'm having a lot of difficulty answering that question. Why Why the Greens and why you vet? Sorry, why the Greens and... Why are you vexed? Why are you... Right, okay. So, sure, they have a whole bunch of trans-friendly policies that, you know, could I really complain, like... From a purely selfish point of view, could I complain about them? No. Um, I, I, not that I've read their um, trans policy, but I'm sure it says things like full Medicare funding for all sex reassignment surgeries and uh, gender-affirming leave and, you know, all the stuff that if I was a teenager going back in time and saw them, I would have... Um, I it would have been so appealing that nothing else would have mattered. But then again, a lot of teenagers are naturally selfish, so there's no surprises there. Um, the vexing part is, 
well, just because that's what's good for me doesn't necessarily mean that's good for um, everyone else. Like, we know that detransitioners exist, so there's a risk there in itself. And by the way, the Greens have a whole bunch of policies where the reason why I think big ideas and how it affects society is because my parents, um, they came to Australia after the uh, Vietnam War to escape communism because clearly uh, communism um, didn't work out so well and, you know, it's not just about me and give me this, give me that, you know, keep, keep, keep. Like uh, uh, I'm not interested in that because, you know, it benefits everyone. I mean, that's why my parents left after Vietnam War to come to Australia because it's I could be so selfish but that doesn't serve me in the end anyway because we all live we don't we're not atoms living amongst each other we live as human persons in community with others even some of us who are assholes <laughs> Um, we're going to keep Chris with us, but uh, if anyone else wants to call in, uh, feel free to do so. The link is in the chat. I saw Richard there before making comments. I know Richard loves to call in and, and have his say like he did last week. So uh, we'll keep Chris here until um, he does so. But I want to ask you a question on religion because um, hmm. Christianity is a big part of your life. Now, you probably know more about it than I do because I'm not, me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not religious but i don't study it i'm, I'm catholic my, but i don't study my, it yeah my understanding of christianity is that god that you were born in the way that god intended you to be but god also gave you freedom of choice now how do you reconcile those two things if we acknowledge uh, i don't want to start to speak on behalf of other branches and denominations but certainly from a catholic point of view if we acknowledge free will, we acknowledge that um, people to varying degrees will make mistakes throughout their life. Uh, the parable that comes to mind, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, who his father knew that he was going to um, grab half of his inheritance and spend like an idiot, which he did. The father knew because... We all have free will, and with free will means we'll all make mistakes. We will all sin to some varying degrees, you know, because we're all sinners, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. So um, me being trans and me not being able to, I suppose, psychologically accepting my biological reality, you could say that's sinful, but it couldn't be more sinful than everyone else because everyone's a sinner and um, no one's perfect and everyone's got a flaw. Um, so, uh, you, know, to, you know, I should therefore try to make it up by trying to be more virtuous in other aspects of my life if I can't fix one particular aspect, so to speak. Um, so, uh, look, I... I in Catholic circles in Sydney, I'm aware of the occasional comment that I have cognitive dissonance, says the sinner himself, um, to which I would respond with, that's a cool story because, you know, um, ever since Genesis 1, uh, this is just, just not really a surprise, really. Um, 
there's a concern that, you know, I'm being a bit lackadaisical here. Uh, look, I've, I've tried to deal with gender dysphoria in various different forms throughout my life. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I was under a watchful waiting um, model of care. Um, that didn't work out. Then I medically transitioned, but by then I left. I lapsed uh, in my Catholic faith. Then in recent years, I came back to the faith. And as I also mentioned earlier tonight, I have been studying part time a master's in theology, and it's a traditional. Um, I'm receiving traditional theological education at Notre Dame because um, those a lot of those who teach theology at Notre Dame are either priests or from religious orders. So I'm getting the best of the best in Australia, so to speak. Yet I'm still, they've still yet to um, be successful in their conversion therapy. And they're not applying conversion therapy. I'm just making fun of the term because we've started to um, use the term conversion therapy in the political arena in a way that is different to what conversion therapy used to be. As I said, I'm having... I'm making fun of um, whether it's a current legislation or bill, like the New South Wales bill uh, that's come in, that it's like, no, I don't think you understand what conversion therapy is. Well, anyway, I, I heard it. So, I, 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 so yes, we're, 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 I'm stuck at this fork in the road, but I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it because I've, yeah, I've, I've, I, I just feel like there are other ways I can more productively work on to better my Catholic faith and getting wrapped around the axles over this one issue. It's like I don't think that's a great use of my time or everyone's time. For that. So just on your point there, Dana, I feel like mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic I'm not the perfect Catholic. I go to church when I can, whatever, right? But treat others as you would like to be treated. That's how I live my life. And then I just let, at the end, at final, at the end, I'll just let them decide. Hmm. Like as a human, what else are you meant to do? I can't decipher what God wants as such. I mean, we can follow the Bible. We can follow the scriptures that have been changed and manipulated. And, and, and can you trust what you read in the Bible these days compared to, what was in the Bible, you know, three or four or 500 years ago when it was in its original language. Um, they're the teachings of God and whatnot. So I just say I took one point. The biggest point I took out of um, religion was treat others as you want to be treated. I want to be treated good. I treat everyone I can. I treat them good. And then I'll let them decide if I've done right or not. So a Catholic-based response to what you've said is, Sure, treat others how you wish to be treated along those lines. Um, an argument could be made, well, treat includes a whole range of um, aspects, things, uh, and that could include um, making clear, for example, Christian teaching. Uh, so a counter to what you said could be something like... Um, yeah, sure, we, uh, we uh, uh, shouldn't persecute um, people in general, um, but we, we should also make very clear um, that um, by God's design, we all should embrace our sexual 
identities as it has been God-given and that should be talked about in public um, because there's an, an, there's an assumption in that counter-argument I've just made that um, people should speak for truth. No, no, no one should be persecuted, but people should speak for truth and people deserve the treatment of knowing what the truth is. And, of course, then the counter to that argument would be, well, it depends on how you approach that and how you talk about trans issues and how pastoral it is. And, uh, but then that just goes into a, that tends to go into circular arguments and, um, well, it could go into circular arguments. I think it is possible to come to a consensus, but it's a lot of hard work. Whether people are inserting religion into this debate or not. All right, we're getting to the end now. Chris, do you have a final question for, for Dana? I actually, it's for you guys. I want to loop back to the one earlier, the political party that will best represent Dana's interests, well, both of okay. you involved with cool. One Nation and others. And as a follow-up, um, not just One Nation, but I think right-wing parties in general are not, not uh, either, either by policy or by popularity, are not capturing... The LGBTQ vote—they're not—they're widely seen as, as Donahue said, said, maybe the Greens. What can right wing be that one nation, liberal, liberal Democrat, whatever you want to say there? What can the right, the right wing, do to better capture and, and reflect that? Because they're painted as some kind of demonic horses out to try and do terrible things. But I think you'd both agree that's not the case with one nation or LGBT. So, how can right wing parties better? reflect and capture the LGBTQ vote, given, especially among the youth, which is at you know, 20, 25%. Um, and which party, as of now, do you think would best represent Dinah's interests? Not just her transgender, but all of all of Dinah's interests. Well, I can, I'll go, go you, Stephen, you, 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 go. you go first, Adam. I think what can the LGBTQTI plus community do to to fix their status in 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 the eyes of the the populace why why as far as it was from if as I, as i said before if they were like dana and just kind of like it was, it's it's about you know what as far for everything i've read about you dana and and what i've seen in you know a little bit it's all about yourself and you inside to make yourself feel better okay that that therefore you're not projecting you're projecting an image that you want to project for people like myself to see, but you act in accordance with that image. So then I therefore know how to react, not causing any sort of stir or I don't have to be rude. I don't have to cause it. Okay. I know, I don't, I, you know, Dana's a woman or, or Dana's a trans woman. She's projecting the image of a trans woman. And then I can accept that. Okay. What gets me, and I think what's causing the biggest stir, and I think what really is actually pissing off the general populace, is that when you get and and the media's part to blame with this as well because they're only showing one side of it. You don't see, you know, a hundred Danas on there talking their story, and you know, people going, "Oh, well, you know, fair enough, I can understand that." You, you're seeing, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. That's the shit that you see. You see a whole bunch of mobs running around naked and flashing their dicks and stuff at people at kids and stuff in the street and that's what the media is that's what the media is is showing that's what the people are seeing 
And that's why it's that's why it's become such a debate because I can tell you something. Ten years ago, even fifteen years ago, even when I was a kid, and I used to work with gay people. I know gay is different to trans, and I, what right, I get that right. But you'd go, well, you'd turn around to your mate at work and go, well, I think that guy's gay, and you go, oh yeah, he's gay. I've been working with him for a while, but he's cool. Cool. How you going, Steve? Not you, Steve. Steve, as in general, right? And that's and that's and that's it. And that and you go, well, that guy's a bit flamboyant, or that guy's a bit this. But then you would just accept them as they are and go. But people get defensive as they should. It's a human in human animalistic right insight, okay? To say when you see a group, you know, and it's not like it's only one or two. Like some of those videos that you see, there is big groups of people in you know fishnets and and hats and and rainbow flags and stuff like that chanting we're here we're queer and we're coming for your children and i feel sorry for people like yourself dana right just normal respectable people okay living their life because those are the ones that are tarnishing you and preventing you from being able to live your full extreme i don't think it's right-wing parties i don't think it's left-wing parties i don't think it's politics at all i just think it's what they're doing to themselves that are causing a reaction that that's my opinion sorry guys and my, and the part and I I still stand by one nation. I still think the world's better off with one nation, <laughs> or Australia's better off with one nation. Well, I guess I'll answer I'll answer the question uh, more strictly to what Chris. I think you're right, Adam. I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. But I think strictly speaking, I think there's probably two parties that I would put forward. The first is the Liberal Democrats because they have this laissez-faire, everyone you know, small government, and people should be allowed to do what they want and and that sort of thing, and there shouldn't be any government interference and things. But I think the other party is the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party is meant to value the individual and how they want to be and how they, they you know, the, the things that they want to do in their life. I think people might get a little bit confused with that because they look at someone like Catherine Dees who goes out and uh, advocate, you know, basically advocates the point that biological men should not be competing in women's sport, which I agree with. They shouldn't be, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be competing in sport. Maybe they should have their own class or maybe, you know, it's like in junior rugby league, you have weight classes because obviously uh, kids that are bigger competing against kids that are smaller, there can be a lot of damage done. So they would probably be um, the two parties that I would put forward. I don't know about One Nation. I don't. I think One Nation's a bit probably not suited for for that agenda, but uh, probably probably the, I would say more the Liberal Party uh, in in its in if you go back to what it's meant to represent would probably be the party that should be uh, a good a right wing option for for trans and LGBT people. And the only problem with that, Stephen, is that they're not, and we can see you know the factions are the factions of the left. Of, the left factions are up and all that kind of stuff. I think, um, I think, I guess. Well, I think that's the narrative, though. If you look at the Liberal Party, there are a lot of uh, gay people in the Liberal Party. Uh, so obviously they welcome them. And uh, you, some people even argue that the gay people within the Liberal Party run the Liberal Party. So I don't know. What do you think, Dana? What, what, what do you think that, do you think we're on the right tram there? Potentially, although the uh, Liberal Party has um, so many, especially in this world, well, no, nationally, and <clears throat> so including 
uh, all your states and territories, uh, they've got a whole lot more internal issues to sort out. Um, very big identity. Uh, yeah, they got their own issues. identity. Right. We're all aware of. Uh, no pun intended. They're transiting into the uh, greens. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, I look at it a little part. I'm like, is that what Menzies had in mind? Menzies didn't pass away that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. Is that, you know, what Menzies had in mind? No, I don't think so. Hmm. They've got a lot of, again, no pun intended, uh, much bigger identity issues than I have, and they really need to sort that out first. Well, this leads into our final segment of the show. It's called Build Your Own Fantasy Government. Now, I'm glad that we've got you here, Chris, as well, because we forgot to ask you this question when we had you on recently. So I'll get Dana to answer it first, and then I'll, I'll get Chris, you, to answer it as well. The idea of it is that the next parliament of Australia, the next government of Australia, you're in control and you get to choose five or six people to head up that government. They can be current politicians, former politicians, uh, maybe experts in a certain field, uh, maybe someone hiding under your couch, whoever they might be. Uh, if you're in... <laughs> if you're, da, da, da. you're in control of the next parliament of Australia... Dana, who would you choose? Uh, how much creative license do I have with this question? Complete. As much as you want. Complete. Some people have chosen dead people in the past. They've chosen all sorts of different characters. So, uh, so I'm going to go more positional. So what I mean by that is there'd be a prime minister uh, who has a foreign minister uh, foreign Affairs Minister, Defence Minister, an Immigration Minister, and maybe one or two other sort of miscellaneous ministers and all the other departments and agencies and what have you, they're all decentralised to the states because we've got way too many uh, politicians. And um, if I wasn't restricted to um, grovelling to the Greens, which I did five minutes ago, uh, I... Uh, would have been a bit more honest and said, yeah, the Liberal Democrats have a way to go. And really, it's a lot of our issues in society, it can be resolved through decentralisation, letting it, they say, politics is local and not only should we have smaller government, we should have lots and lots of smaller governments. Um, you know, some of them could be local Aboriginal councils, some of them could be... Uh, states, you know, maybe New England, there should be a New England state, and, uh, uh, you know, West Australia succeeds from Australia. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to see more decentralised politicians who I would struggle to remember the names because they're not having the kind of impact on my life that, say, Dan Andrews had on Victorians in the last few years. So the less I know about um these fantasy politicians it's probably a good sign okay all right chris your turn benjamin disraeli for the treasury uh, mccarthy for defense the department of war enoch <laughs> powell for uh uh department of migration and and uh education ian smith um That'll do. We'll put Teddy Roosevelt on top of it to try and bridge the left and the right wing, the interests of the masses with the interests of the few, with the liberty. Um, and then you'll need someone executive to dissolve it all if it all messes up. 
So we need a monarch. Um, Elizabeth is probably the most reasoned that I could put there. The second um, that I could put there that was never too involved in politics. Had a yeah, no distant eh? hand, no. Sorry, she wasn't really, was she? No. She was distant, only when very distant, very distant. But the, you need that reserve power in case things get really... Re you don't want that reserve power involved all the time, right? You don't want to be dissolving parliament every every three months. Or, or, or you know, you want it kind of... The Americans are getting a little bit close to where you need that reserve power of we need to call a new election. You guys just can't don't seem to be agreeing on, on a speaker or anything. Um, we got there in 75 when we couldn't even pass a budget. And that's when we had that. So that kind of reserve power where Elizabeth could have said, no, Governor General, don't dissolve it. Instead, it seems her office was aware and she was like, mm, I'll say nothing. So you force it out of there. Yeah. And that kind of distance. But you need that that, that one there. But um, yeah, there you go. Extremes all over the place. And Why does no one say like, real? you know, I want, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Oh, come on, the little green guy from Star Wars. The, Yoda. You know, Yoda. Why, why doesn't people go, like, I want Yoda or I want bloody you know, Optimus Prime or I want... um they're not you know, real. I want, um, no, but I'm just saying, like, like characters like that. I mean, like, you know, seriously, like, you know, it's, who cares? Like, it's like, it's fantasy and, like, who would lead the world the best way? You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, kind of think, like, Dan Andrews to be more like Darth Vader. And then you've got, you know, like you'd have Yoda who's pretty full of wisdom, but it can still kick Dan ass. Dan Andrew was a master of polls. Dan Andrew was a master of knowing which way the wind was blowing. He was a bold right answer, mate. That's, you know, that's what yes, he was. He yeah. was. So, and all good things came to an end. He he rode that pole to its last inch right. and then was left with nothing. I want to know the significance of the hat and the jacket. It's it's all part of it's it's all part of the uh or, or, or the hat. I think this is the, the hat persona. I wore under under Cook. Um, it always seems in these extreme situations. I don't know. I'm 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 I've I've been to a few of these channels where it seems. Don't you've seen you guys have seen this these Instagram live stream where everyone's wearing hats talking about weird odd, odd politics and like I just need to if, if we're going to go off base we're talking fantasy. Well, this this is it. Sunday night. I got my leather jacket. I've got my. I've got my, I've got my, like, like this, this is it. This is, this is part of, of the, the show, isn't it? Right. Like, like those people that do the selfies in the car. It drives me crazy. Why do they have, why do you have to do it in the car? What, what... <laughs> and, and who does these long political ideological commentaries in the car, in your, in, in your singlet? Like often they're actually yeah. quite interesting, <laughs> but give us, if, if you actually know even worse than that, while they're driving. Oh, yeah. come on. Isn't it illegal? Yeah. Come on. It's illegal. Make the. Probably, but make it the is. time. If what you have to say is that important, pull the over. Stop. Stop the car. Just put a jacket on. Put a jacket on. Don't do it in your singlet. Or they make it they make it like, oh, I was driving, but I had to pull over and make this video about what I'm about to say. <laughs> you got me mad. Got to take the No. We should all we should all be doing it in our laundries. That's that's what I'm so, doing. So Dana, just quickly, just on a last last little note. Um, huge, you're an anime uh, manga fan. Mm, once upon a time, uh, once upon I don't have a problem with it anymore. With it anymore, I just kind of grew out of it. Grew out of it. Ah, uh, see, I grew, I never grew out of it. I just love it. So, um, 
favorite my favorite uh, anime movie was Ninja Scroll, and I don't think they've made one better since. Where do I even start? Oh, I could blurt out a whole bunch of movies, uh, series, and what have you. Where do I even start? Like, Spirited Away was probably my first anime movie that I liked, but um, that's a bit of a boring answer. Um, yeah, just, there's just so many. Um, but uh, I, um, yeah, my first favorite anime thing would have been Spirited Away, and that's just. Uh, it's a classic, obviously. So, yeah, hmm. fair enough. All good. All right, um, Chris, we'll let you go. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure. Let everyone know how to follow you on social media and everywhere. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris <laughs> Coveries everywhere, Twitter, all those places. Um, and same for you, Dana. I don't know why Streamyard's running so slowly tonight. Uh, how can people follow you on uh, all your social media? Um, so my name's on the screen, so people can Google my name and find whatever they need to find. Otherwise, look me up on Facebook. Um, that's probably where I'm the most active. I'm also on Instagram uh, as well. Uh, Twitter, I'm an occasionally active. And then there's my medium.com blog. Um, so yeah, um, just Google me, look me up and you'll probably find me. And we'll put all those links in the description once I, uh, edit the, uh, the end video. So look, thanks for coming on. Do you have any, uh, mm. I know a friend of mine wanted to ask this final question. Do you have any political aspirations? Um, not exactly. Um, and the reason for that is, like, when you say political aspiration, I presume it's, you know, running for office and yeah. that kind of fun stuff. Everyone has a role to play. Um, and just because, say, you're the president of the free world doesn't even, even then doesn't mean you can change the world. Um, but I am a big believer that even if you're not the president of the free world, and you're, you know, a nobody, so to speak, you can still change the world that one tiny bit. And the way you change the world that one tiny bit is rock up to political events, rock up to causes, um, because the, the world doesn't change. In order to change the world, that one tiny bit requires one to turn up. And if you mm -hmm. don't turn up, nothing changes. Exactly. Agreed. Yeah. And then people people always say, oh, I feel so helpless. I can never change anything. Well, you can. And it's, it's surprising that you can. And you're not going to make a huge change like a, like a prime minister can change a country. But as you said, this that little bit does makes a huge difference. And sometimes you're changing things more than you realize. So mm. I think that's very good advice. Mm. Well, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it's it's definitely a uh, an interesting topic because I think it, it it is individual to each person and that's what makes it complicated I think because everyone's different everyone has a different view and different life experience so thank you for coming on and sharing yours uh, thank you very much Adam for for joining me as always and thank you everyone for watching if you really enjoyed it please share it far and wide uh, we'll be here same time 8 p.m. Uh, Sydney time 
next Sunday night again for another interview. So please join us then and we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you later. See ya. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for that, Dana.